Hey, this is Scott Klosowski. You've landed at The Digital Optimist, a podcast that looks into the future of technology impacts on the world. Yeah, I see a brighter future coming, so jump into a few episodes and see if you agree. I remember when my son and I bought the first Amazon Echo. We got it in, we unboxed it, and we started testing it out. We started asking it lots of questions. Did it know the height of the Empire State Building? Did it know the depth of the Grand Canyon? And it did a pretty good job with those. But then we started asking more esoteric questions like, what is the best car insurance? And of course, uh, it couldn't answer that. This was the early days, right after the Echo had first come out. And as a technologist, I understood that this was a device, a physical device, but it had an AI behind it. And I was curious just how smart the AI was. And I think back on that now because, of course, we are years later and uh, the Amazon Echo has gotten smarter and smarter as an AI that is being trained can do. And today there is a huge amount of questions that you can ask an Echo and it would have an answer. Not to mention that it also has an ability to control physical devices. So in our house, for instance, we have a Control 4 smart home and the Echo actually is connected to it. And so we can just talk to the, to the Amazon Echo and it will control anything in the smart home that's electronic. Uh, all of this comes under a heading of what I call machine intelligence. And this is what the next series is going to be about, is the digital optimist view of machine intelligence. This session will be just about what is it? What is machine intelligence? So we've at least defined it. The other sessions will be about various pieces of machine intelligence, what they will do to the world, and why I have an optimistic view. As I mentioned before, just to be clear, it isn't like I think uh, technology is 100% good. Uh, I always believe that maybe it's 55% good and 45% bad. Uh, But ultimately, I believe that technology uh, is something that we can be very optimistic about. Uh, And this one is especially that case, machine intelligence. When I talk about machine intelligence, and, and I will define it and we'll go over what are the, di- the different pieces, what is the ecosystem that is machine intelligence, uh, but I'd like to start with the big picture of mine, which is just, why do we even need something like this? Why do we need machines to be quote-unquote intelligent? Why do we need smart machines? Uh, the answer lies in four simple things that I could say that we're seeing smart devices or machine intelligence already do for us. So number one, uh, intelligent machines can take over jobs that are dangerous for people. We do many, many dangerous jobs, firefighting, construction, security work, right? There are many dangerous jobs in the world. The more we can get a robot, an intelligent robot, to be able to do that work, the more we save lives, the more we save injuries. Uh, And so certainly just taking over jobs that are dangerous is driving machine intelligence. Then let's look at any job that uh, is making a decision that requires access to huge amounts of ever-changing data. For example, a doctor. A doctor, in order to be very good at what they do, they have to be able to consume huge amounts of information, and it is always changing, always upgrading. Now, to be a good doctor, a fantastic doctor, that means you've got even more of a burden to stay up on this huge amount of data. 
Well, the reality is that, that an intelligent system has a better ability to, quote-unquote, read, consume, uh, and merge together data than a human being does. We can only learn at the speed that our ears can listen, our eyes can see and read, and our brain can comprehend. A uh, machine has a much faster ability to learn than a human being does, uh, and we'll come back to that when we talk more about machine learning and deep learning. The third thing, to perform work that requires extremely precise physical dexterity. Our hands, our eyes, are only so good when it comes to doing things at a tiny, minuscule uh, capability. For instance, a surgeon trying to sew veins back together. Uh, that's a difficult thing to do with the hands that we've been given. Or even the preciseness of trying to build a watch uh, is much more difficult when somebody's doing that by hand. So when it comes to work that needs absolute precision, an intelligent machine is going to be able to do that much better than a human being. And finally, the fourth area, when it comes to solving complex problems at faster speeds with higher rates of effectiveness, a machine is able to process uh, something much more single-mindedly than a human being can do. Uh, now, none of this is to denigrate how fantastic the human brain is, but the reality is when there is a complex problem with many, many variables and, and ha has to be solved at an extremely fast speed, uh, and it's got to be effective and repeatable. Uh, there are many times when we can build an intelligent system that can do that better than a human being can do. So I'll stop there. Four reasons why we need machines to be intelligent. Now, I also understand people who say, uh, I'm a little bit worried about a world where machines take over more and more responsibility or more and more what human beings do. And I understand that as well, and I'll comment about that as we go along. Uh, I do think, though, that we can uh, say there's no question that machines are going to uh, do that, though. They're going to absolutely take over what human beings can do uh, for many of the reasons that I've already said and, and many more. Now, I have no issue with somebody who says, I don't want to live in a world like this. Uh, I want to do everything by hand. I want to live off the grid. Uh, I have no, no problem with that. I understand that and understand why some people would choose that. What I'm talking about more is uh, the rest of the world uh, that is not going to choose to live that way, that will choose to live in a humological world where humans and technology integrate at extremely high rates uh, for many interesting reasons. Uh, that's the world that we want to talk about in this machine intelligence series. And so... Let's get to it. Uh, first off, I want to talk about definitions. Uh, it's important in this world to talk about definitions because if we don't, uh, then I'm using words that uh, many people might not understand exactly what I'm referencing, and that's always a problem in technology, certainly a problem with machine intelligence. Uh, for example, we use the word smart. We call something smart. And then we call other things intelligent, like artificial intelligence. We don't say artificial smartness, but we do say smart devices. And so we use those two words, smart and intelligent, uh, in different ways. Uh, maybe I would say 
Smart is the ability to connect to the internet. Because when we talk about smart devices, a lot of times we're not commenting on how brilliant the device is or how much knowledge the device holds. Uh, We're basically commenting on the fact that it's connected to the internet. Then we use intelligent when we want to say that something actually has some uh, ability to process information. Or we'll use words like universal, right? So today we'll talk about a universal AI. A universal AI is an AI that can do more than one single task. It is a collection of of different AI capabilities uh, that in some ways would feel like you were working with a human being. Amazon uh, is certainly trying to build the Alexa into or the echo system into being a universal AI, an AI that you could ask it any question and it would have an answer to that question or it would be able to have any conversation with you. That's certainly where they're headed is not that it's a single use AI. Then we have things like self-learning, right? Words like self-learning, deep learning capabilities. Um, If we think self-learning, you know, that's an AI or a intelligent system that that can build its own rules and can make itself smarter. Uh, I will talk for a minute about enlightened systems, right? The word enlightened of not only is a system intelligent, but it actually has ethics built in as well. And we will call that an enlightened system. You might hear me say words like superpowers. Uh, I really believe machine intelligence, one of the analogies we could use, is that it is like superpowers, like the superheroes that we know about in the Marvel comic world or the DC comic world. Uh, We have superheroes, and each of those superheroes have superpowers, meaning they've got powers that are more than what a typical human being would be able to do. And machine intelligence, when we look at the whole ecosystem, it is the same. It is a set of superpowers that allows us to do things that normally we've never been able to do before. Uh, Let me walk through those ecosystems and you'll see what I mean. So when I talk about the machine intelligence ecosystem, uh, it's not one thing. It's not just robotics. It's not just AI. It is a collection of tool sets that have intelligence Uh, when combined, create even more power. And so here's the way I think of the ecosystem. It starts off with just physical robotics. Uh, A physical robot, a machine that does physical tasks, that can be an ambulatory robot or a fixed robot. In other words, it could just be an arm fixed to the floor that does a task over and over again that a human used to do. Or it could be an ambulatory robot, something that moves, like the uh, Roomba that moves around my house and vacuums the floor or Uh, a lawn mowing robot that moves around your yard, right? Ambulatory. But that's the the first piece of the ecosystem is just physical robotics. The second would be the virtual analogy of that, which we call RPA, robotic process automation. So building virtual robots. Uh, Now we're talking about software code that does a, a repeatable task over and over again that a human used to do. And so that's the virtual representation of a physical robot. We still call them robots, but typically they're virtual robots. That's number two. Number three, we have machine learning. And number four is deep learning. Those are two different ways that an intelligent system gets trained or learns to do what it does. Uh, To keep this simple, machine learning can be thought of as Uh, programmed or taught by a human being. Uh, And so the rules are given like you would teach a child, 
right? You, you teach all the boundaries around what makes a good decision, and then the AI starts to repeat what that good decision is. For example, how to make a lending decision. We know there's 20 different things you look at when you make a lending decision, and so we can use machine learning to teach a lending system how to make loans, just like a human being would, except much faster and at a much larger scale. Right? So machine learning is learning by repetition or learning by exception, but it's basically a machine that is taught by a human being. Deep learning is different. Deep learning is based around a neural network uh, that can be shown a million pictures of a cat and build its own rules for how to identify a cat. Or we can use a GAN, a generative adversarial network, two different neural networks that compete to be able to find the best answer or win a game or anything else two neural networks could compete to do. And by competing, they constantly write their own rules until one can beat the other. So you have machine learning and deep learning, three and four, and those both are in the self-learning, you know, somewhat move us into the self-learning capability for an intelligence system, which is huge, and we'll certainly do a whole podcast just on that. Then you have artificial intelligence, which I'll say right here, I'll talk more about this. Uh, I think it's a, a misnomer to call it artificial intelligence. It's real intelligence. It's just virtualized or it's synthetic, but it's real intelligence. In other words, it can make a decision just like a human being can make. But we call it artificial intelligence, and I'll stick with that for now. This just being a piece of software, a piece of code that can make a decision like a human could make. It can look at data, and then based off of that data, it can make a decision. We call that artificial intelligence. Then we have real-time predictive analytics. That would be the next piece of the ecosystem. Uh, real-time predictive analytics uh, is a capability to, to absorb massive amounts of information uh, and then to uh, synthesize it and predict what a future outcome could possibly be based on all of that massive amount of information. Now, when I talk about this ecosystem being a series of superpowers, this is a perfect example of where a human being does not have the ability to process thousands of pieces of data coming in simultaneously and then apply models to that, algorithms to that, to be able to do future predictions of an outcome that are changing instantly and constantly. Now, a good example of real-time predictive analytics would be the weather. And so today, when we predict the weather, it is actually thousands of weather stations giving information to a, to a system, an AI, I think we could call it, that is doing the real-time predictive analytics. It's why we can get so accurate about the path of a hurricane or the path of a tornado today. All right, the next area in the ecosystem, smart devices. So now we're talking about the superpower of millions of devices that actually are connected to the internet and have are starting to have some intelligence built into them. Uh, that way those devices can actually talk to each other. They can think and they can uh, react. And so we are moving to a world where each one of us might have a hundred different smart devices in our lives. Things that we wear, wearables, our vehicles, uh, devices in our homes, devices in our offices, uh, just devices that we own. 
And these devices all talk to us. Uh, and then the devices also can talk to each other. So a good example would be the uh, smart uh, watering system I have on my lawn. Uh, that device not only talks to me to tell me uh, that it's raining and so it's going to skip a cycle, uh, or in my case, it's too windy and so it's not going to run, which I've never even understood that one. But the device also talks to the weather system. And by talking to the weather system, it makes its own decisions on when it's going to run and how it's going to run. And so if you think about many, many smart devices in our lives, and then those smart devices start connecting and talking to each other, that's called edge intelligence. And the wonderful thing about that is it creates a mesh, an intelligent mesh that we interact with that can do a lot of things in our lives. The next area in the ecosystem is sensors, Uh, And when I say sensors, uh, what I mean is uh, the ability of something to listen and understand our voice, natural language processing, NLP, right? So a sensor, it can listen to us and understand what we're saying. We have devices that can see, and so they can see in infrared, they can see in thermal, they can see in realms that the human eye cannot see. Uh, We have devices that can read. Right, So sensors that can read and understand what the text is saying. So we have an ability now, if you think about it this way, for machines to listen, to hear, to see, right? in some cases to smell, right? to read. And they can do all of this at uh, more accurate rates than a human being and faster rates than a human being in many cases. And so just the ability to sense what a human is doing or what is going on in the environment is now a superpower beyond what humans can do. Now, if you start adding some of these things together, you get cognitive computing, IBM's concept, right? That you get not only an intelligent system, but a cognitive system. So for example, if you add machine learning with artificial intelligence and natural language processing, uh, then you get the Amazon Echo. You get a device that can talk to you, that listens, it hears you from across the room. It processes what you're saying. It is more of a cognitive system than an AI. The ecosystem is made up of these discrete parts, but then again, start adding them together. Now you have what could be thought of as a cognitive system. If I were to walk you through a bit what's happening with the machine intelligence, because it's going through stages. I might say it's gone through six or it will go through six. Uh, The first stage started back in the 50s when we just programmed something. We just programmed a device to do a task. Now, in the 50s and the 60s, people might have thought that what they were seeing on a mainframe was a smart system. It wasn't necessarily making very complex decisions, but, but it actually you were able to interface with it and then it could store data And so some people would have thought of that as almost thinking. Move forward to, let's say, a 2.0 level, you get up to the middle 90s. Now you had devices and systems that were connected to the Internet. We now had this backbone, this platform, where machines could talk to each other. Software could talk to each other. It became connected. And then we move to, let's say, stage three. 
the early version of a smart system. Uh, in other words, not only was it connected to the internet, it, it could actually make a few decisions on what it would do and how it would perform. Not massive, complicated decisions, not acting like a human, but a few basic decisions I would say now we were up to the level of a smart system. Move up to the fourth generation. Now we have intelligent systems, right? Advanced AIs. What we're starting to see a lot more of today, uh, systems that actually can synthesize a large amount of information and make pretty complicated decisions, either because they've been programmed by a human to do that, or in some cases they've started to do self-learning, which would take us to our fifth level right? Self-learning systems. Now, not just an, an intelligent system, but a system that's getting more intelligent every day because it's listening to the data and then it's learning from the data just like a human being would do. But instead of a human being having to teach the system, the system is teaching itself. And then ultimately we move to the sixth stage, which we'll call enlightened system. So systems that are not only intelligent self-learning, they have ethics as well. Because a human has helped teach them what the ethics of the decisions are that they are making. Because a machine is not going to learn ethics on its own. It's going to have to be shown this human concept of ethics, of how we feel as human beings, right and wrong, should be handled. Because if you let a machine learn on its own, and it decides what is right and wrong, oftentimes a machine will just be logical, but not necessarily ethical. Now, that's six stages of where we are. And obviously, we are now in between 4.0, 5.0, and 6.0. We are starting to build highly intelligent systems. We're working hard to make them more and more self-learning. We're on the front edge of that. And we're just starting to consider and to think about how to build ethical systems. So that's where we are. And what I'd like to do, because we're going to break each of these things down in a lot more detail over the coming episodes, we're going to take this ecosystem and create an episode on each area and talk about, uh, you know, what is it going to look like going forward into the future? And again, is this good or bad for humanity? But I don't want to leave this, uh, this first session of machine intelligence with at least starting to talk about this concept of machine intelligence being good or bad. Now, obviously, we've talked about this before. Uh, you look at movies like The Terminator or The Road or any other post-apocalyptic movie that shows that technology either takes over the world or technology was used to destroy it. This is what we see over and over again in the media. It's what we often see in science fiction books. But what I want to do is set aside fantasy, set aside story. And, and I want to deal with what is likely going to be the truth. Now, I can only guess at this, but this is what I do. And uh, it is what I've been good at and accurate at for a couple decades now. So let me take a shot at some impacts on society and then impacts on business. And I'm going to start with some negative impacts. Uh, and then I'm going to move to the more optimistic impacts. So when we look at negative impacts, we are going to become dependent on a lot of these technologies. Now, the reason that that's negative is when we become dependent on it, then we also will likely lose some abilities to be able to do what the machines are doing. So 
Simple examples are if you let a physical machine uh, do uh, your physical work for you, then you may not be outside doing that physical work. Uh, Or if it's in your job, you may not be lifting or uh, doing something that actually is helping you be more physically fit. So I get a very simple example. If machines do all the heavy lifting, if they do all the heavy work, we don't. And then what does that do to our bodies when we don't have to do any of the physical work anymore? Uh, It's the same thing with our minds. If you become dependent on a machine to make decisions for you all day long, then your mind does not have to be tuned to make its own decisions. Now, I don't think a machine is going to ever make all of our decisions. That's ridiculous. But I do see a world where it's possible machines can make half, half of all the decisions that we make today. So I mentioned earlier about lending decisions. If you, make, if you let a machine make all of your lending decisions, then eventually there'll be less and less human beings who know how to make lending decisions on their own. So that's just simple, but they're, they're, on a negative side, the more dependent we become on technology, the more we will risk losing abilities, capabilities, uh, where only a few people are left who even know how to do that thing. So today, uh, stained glass windows. There's less and less people that know how to do stained glass windows. So when there's a problem at a church where stained glass windows break down or were blown out in an explosion or a fire, and those stained glass windows have to be rebuilt, there's less and less human beings that know how to do that. Now, that's not because a machine replaced them, you might argue. But I would say the machines have gotten so good at automatically building regular windows uh, that it's less expensive for a church to just put in regular windows and not to, to have the cost of having a human being have to make stained glass windows. Another negative impact we could argue is a widening of the technology and wealth gap. As machines get smarter and smarter, the people who build those machines, maintain those machines, own those machines, own the patents on those machines, they will make more and more money. There will be a more and more demand. The people who do not, who do not own this equipment, do not know how to use it, cannot do co-working with machines. There's an argument that they will get paid less and less. And so I can certainly see a world where the more we integrate with technology, Uh, the more we also widen the technology and wealth gap. If you don't know how to co-work with an AI, if you don't know how to co-work with a robotic system, uh, then you'll get paid less. You'll be less valuable, right, in the market. And so I could certainly see a widening of the gap. Now, let's go on to some more positive things. A couple just on society. This frees human beings to do more creative tasks, So one of the things is as machines take over highly repetitive tasks and dangerous tasks, it frees us up as human beings to do the things that are much more interesting. And so this is going to be a fantastic thing for the coming generations, that they will not have to do tasks that are highly repetitive and mind-numbing, tasks that needed to be done, there was a market for them, but you will not have to put a nut on a bolt over and over again all day long on an assembly line. Because a machine can put a nut on a bolt. You will not have to make the exact same weld over and over again. You will not have to make the same decisions looking at a screen over and over again. Because software or a robot will be able to do that. We will also, with machines taking over more and more of the load, move to a world where it really is possible we can work less. 
Now, that has been a fallacy for years where we thought, oh, with computers and technology, you know, certainly that'll help us work less. But that hasn't happened. It's made us work more because now we can work from anywhere. Uh, However, as machines start to take over more of the intelligent decisions or more and more of the physical labor, we really will move to a world where maybe we only work six hours a day instead of eight or four hours a day instead of eight because the machines are able to co-work with us and take over more and more of the burden. And if I look just in the business world about three positive impacts, uh, as we move more and more to this humological world, it means that we'll need less employees per dollar of revenue. So it means organizations are going to have less costs, ongoing costs, of paying human beings to do work Uh, And machines will take over more and more of that work, which will be more cost efficient. Uh, Now, it might be more expensive up front, but over time, what this means is organizations have the ability to be more and more profitable, the more humological they become. Now, I know some people are going to say, oh, geez, but Scott, what you're saying is that there'll be less people in the workforce. No, I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is if you're a bank, if you're an insurance company, if you're a manufacturer, You're going to be able to provide your service or your product at less of an ongoing cost because you can mechanize more and more of the work. The workforce will not shrink. We will not have a bunch of unemployed because there will be a lot of people who are building the machines, building the software, auditing the software, auditing the AIs, training the AIs to do the work of these other organizations. All right. Highly efficient quality, speed, automation, right? These are all going to be things that we're going to get uh, that are going to be positive, that machines are going to be safer, faster, uh, work 24 hours a day. In other words, we're going to have more efficiency and quality. We're going to have more speed than we've ever had before to get work done. And then finally, I'll stop with this last positive comment. Uh, It's going to be able to create a higher level of job satisfaction for human beings. So not only will we be able to be more creative and innovative and do things more suited to human beings instead of highly repetitive tasks, it's going to make us enjoy our work more. We are going to be co-working with machines. That is true. Unless we just choose to do something where we don't co-work with machines, which will be fine. But a vast majority of people in the economy will be co-working with machines in some way. But by co-working with the machines, the machines will do the dangerous, highly repetitive tasks, freeing up the human being to do something that is much more interesting or higher level decision making or more artistic or more creative and innovative. I know that's a fast run through of what is machine intelligence and some of the impacts. We got to get the party started somehow. The next podcasts in this series are going to break machine intelligence down into its components in a much deeper way because there's so much to talk about in each one of these components, and I'm excited to get to that. And I'm excited to show you why this is going to be one of the biggest factors in making the world a better place. Uh, I think by the time I'm done, uh, you might agree that we don't have to fear a world where we have lots of machines. Uh, We can relish a world that has lots of machines because it will allow us to do the things as human beings that mean more to us so that we are not doing dangerous and highly repetitive tasks 
for many hours of our day. Until next time, until the next episode, which we will start with robotics, both physical and virtual, I bid you adieu. Thank you for listening and giving these ideas a chance. Let this be a two-way conversation and connect with me on Twitter at sklazowski or on LinkedIn. I also write a blog that you can find at scottklazowski.com. An added bonus is a library of thought-leading graphics you can download from the site. One more thing, please take a moment and rate this podcast on whatever platform you use. Ideas are powerful change agents, and positive reviews will help spread the digital optimism.